Oh, am I doing the intro? No, I, we do it together, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. Okay. I'm Amy Rivers, and this is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend Sasha Chambers reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths. It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us, whether the ideas they cooked up fed us, nourished our bodies and minds, or just rotted our teeth and clogged our mental arteries. Sasha and I are not film scholars, but we do have a genuine love of movies, as well as a beautiful friendship that spans 25 years. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to yeah. do The Princess Bride. I'm really excited because yep. this yep. is one Pumped. of my favorite movies of all time. Came out in 1987. Did. Um, <laughs> tick. Uh, directed <laughs> by Rob Reiner, who was a baller in the 80s, right? So we've got Stand yeah. By Me. This is Spinal Tap and When Harry Met Sally, at least. Yeah. I think there's another one in there. Uh, it stars lots of people, and we're going to go through the film and talk about them, so we're not going to go through the cast list now, but we can say right now that it is perfectly cast. There is no mm -hmm. one in this that shouldn't have been in this. They were all meant to play these parts. Just... yeah. Agreed. I can't imagine Before anyone time. else playing any of these roles, like which is why no one should ever remake it. Putting it yes. out there right now. Don't yes. touch. Don't touch this movie. The gods of cinema. If you are listening on high, um, on Mount Olympus, you know, off Sunset Boulevard. If you're sitting there, yeah. like, <laughs> let's maybe remake Princess Bride because we have no original. Don't ideas. do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You don't just do it. did it to Valley Girl. And it made me throw up in my mouth, just the trailer. Right. Because I and didn't they have the audacity to try it with Heathers? Stop it. They made a television show with of Heathers. No. And yeah. Yeah. We will We're watch not Heathers gonna... and I'll tell you about uh, the 15 minutes I watched before I had to shut it off. Leave it well, alone. It made, leave Princess Bride alone. Great big studios that are listening to this because I know that like every big Hollywood big wig is listening intently to our podcast. Um, leave this alone. <laughs> leave Do the Princess Bride alone. Besides, you cannot possibly come close to the recast parody version that I saw on YouTube last night that has been recasted with toddlers um is a 47 minute version of the princess bride apparently as some kind of dedication to a little boy's birthday um and it's amazing and you could never possibly touch that remake yes i did spend 47 minutes watching it from start to finish because i live alone and only god can judge me and it was like i said amazing i'm telling you they th this was a quality production that they put together um months to shoot and edit and like they had a, they had toddlers, toddlers, a three-year-old played Vizzini and like learned all the lines from the Battle of Wits and, and crushed it by toddler <laughs> standards. Okay. By toddler <laughs> standards, you know, um, 
Well, I'll tell you when I was doing, you know, the, the most research that we do on this um, podcast, which is basically taking a quick look at the IMDB page, you know, kind of 10 minutes before we start recording. Um, and <laughs> when you look up Princess Bride, it says 2020 Princess Bride television show. And I was like, no, my heart sank. And it actually is the home movie Princess Bride, which is um, oh. the celebrity fan <laughs> creation. Of which it. did you watch? Did you watch any of those? I've watched a lot of it. I haven't watched all of it, but I, I am, I'm going to spend the money to watch the whole thing. I am too. Because I am as well. Um, a, mm -hmm. what I've watched is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. B, the idea is brilliant. Um, and see, of course, the the cause is brilliant. It's for the World yes. Central Kitchen to support yeah. restaurants that are struggling during this pandemic. Yeah, um, to help them as a as a former service industry yeah. person, you as well. I've got eight dollars a month to throw at that. So hey, anyone yeah. that's listening to this, if you got to spare eight bucks to support the restaurant industry, these people that are out there day in day out serving you, putting up with all kinds of whatnot that you can't even imagine. Do it because you're going to get a lot of quality entertainment out of it and um, support a really, 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 really good cause. Good people that work really, really hard for the money. The, the screenplay was written by the same guy who wrote the book, who is William Goldman. That, that's not super um, common to be the screenwriter and the writer of the book. But he also wrote the screenplays to, um, what was it, like Butch Cassidy of the Sundance Kid. So he was he was a big Hollywood screenwriter and then he also wrote novels I guess um I don't know any of the other novels that he wrote and um and we didn't read the source material um that's not what mm. this podcast is about everyone if, no. you know we we did not don't come deep. for us like that but yeah. I did listen to another <laughs> podcast that does do that and um and it was a really interesting what it's supposedly a really interesting book and and um it's really um, satirical and that's the thing about this um, movie that I think is one of the reasons it works now go with me here so mm. basically it plays on um, fairy tale tropes and archetypes right we've got the princess mm -hmm. we've got the you know her her love we've got the evil prince and all these things um, but it does it to such an extreme degree it pushes it out it's so hyperbolic that it kind of boomerangs back on itself um, and makes a really good fairy tale and it kind yeah. of, so the point is, is that it's in my, you know, in my, in my, um, non-scholarly opinion is that it's, it's kind of saying that even if you push all the ridiculousness of every fairy tale trope to its extreme, there's still magic in them there's still mm -hmm. there's still yes. beautiful moments to be celebrated and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so good buttercup and wesley are you know true love their true love is so strong that it um um it will survive death and they literally put that in line by killing him twice <laughs> like he dies right. twice in it and yeah still um you know love prevails who yeah what else did I have to say about this before we get into the, into the, into the soup, man? I don't think I have anything before we get into the soup. I don't Let's think get I have it. anything. Let's get into the soup. I got my spoon. Let's dish it. <laughs> Let's dish it. Okay, so we open up. 
with Fred Savage, who is referred to in um, the credits as the boy or something like that, or the grandson. He doesn't have a name. He doesn't have a name, so we will call him Fred Savage. We're going to call him the brat because the way he talks to his grandfather is not okay. Oh, it is. That's the, that is one that is one beef I have with this. Where I'm just like, um, why has this child not been slapped? Why? Sorry, not that I can go slapping children, but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I'll give you it that he's a brat, but I will say that the narrative frame that he creates is one of the things that pops the bubble. Well, that's his of right. The, of the brat. The that's the that's that's tale. his arc. Yeah. That's his arc is that he's yeah. like somehow a jaded, jaded seven year old or eight year old, but comes around to the, by the power of love and magic. I get well, it. I get yeah, it. But exactly. still, exactly. He's really a brat. And I think that though, we, we have to address his mother's it. hair. <laughs> we, we have to talk about his mom's hair. I don't hair. remember his mom's hair. It's terrible. It's like this amazing mullet thing. It's actually the exact same hairdo as Inigo Montoya. <laughs> Go back and watch. They have the exact same hairdo. Like, I think hers is in a ponytail, but if she takes it out, it's the exact same weird bangy mullety do. Yeah, it's bad. It is. That's that's the only thing. Yeah, that and the video game are the only things that make this time stamped, actually. She's not normcore. She's not a normcore hipster like that. That's 80s hair for sure. I don't even yeah. know that term. What's normcore? I don't know. I probably saw it on the Instagram. I'm too old to be cool. But like, yeah, you know, I think it's it's those hipsters. Like that. It's the hipsters that like to wear like mom jeans and, you know, mm-hmm. look like super normal, super normal to the point where it's it's eerie, you know, like that kind you, of thing. You know, Sasha, I could figure out what it meant by context, but I just don't think you should use language like that on our podcast. <laughs> I will refrain. It's really I'll refrain from it's it. It's really yeah. offensive. Oh, but but let us yes in these opening moments address the thing because you were like is this a christmas movie aside from yeah. the demon face santa aside yeah. from the demon face santa on his closet wall in fact when she opens the blinds after grandpa comes into the room or before i don't remember it doesn't matter um she opens the blinds and yeah there's snow there's snow all over the rooftops and there's christmas lights and on the houses across the way when peter falk does come and, in and gives him a present it's in christmas wrapping paper which I never clocked. I never clocked yeah. that. That's crazy. So this is a Christmas. Yeah, it's movie. the most subtle Christmas movie ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I really wish it was a Hanukkah movie. You know, just because we could use a Hanukkah movie. Are there any Hanukkah movies? For, I can't think of anything where like the timestamp is Hanukkah. They always use Christmas as the timestamp. They always yeah. use Christmas. Anyway. Amazing. No, I never. I never thought about that. Just like I never thought about the fact that there's no black people in this movie. But that's. <laughs> but that's also okay. But that's also okay. Yeah. It's not one of those things where it's like there's no black people in this. It's like, I don't care. I really don't care because one, if we haven't said it already, which I think we did, this this film is perfectly cast. So. I don't want to see anyone different in any one of these roles. And I don't feel like the film is lacking for representation. Also, again, timestamp. This was the eighties. This was a point in time where I wasn't expecting to see Brown people in a fairy tale context, because that wasn't where you found them still or yet Morgan Freeman. That was the first time I ever saw a black person in a fantastical setting in a film in Robin hood. And that was like, Oh, Wow. That could be that could be a thing, but I'm not mad. I'm not mad that there's no black people in this film. It doesn't make it like any kind of a thing. I don't feel any kind of ways about it. It's a perfect movie. We do want to look at films with that. Why wasn't there inclusion, or why is this so sexist and and normalizing mm-hmm. it? 
I think that there are moments in this film that have that, but this film, we're not going to tick on those. Maybe it's because it's not real life. I mean, the basic setup is that this is yeah. a story, you know, like we're not, it's fantasy world. And I'm not saying in fantasy world, there's no black people. Like, please do not. That's not what I'm saying. Everyone like, I, for some reason, it doesn't feel problematic again, because this movie mm -hmm. is, you know, perfect the way it is. No small parts in this film. Peter Falk. Yeah. Like, give me some loving. I love Peter Falk. Yeah. So Fred Savage doesn't want to, he's not super excited about the book. And right. that's when, of course, the great line is, when I was your age, television was called books. Um, but he he acquiesces. He's like, fine, I'll let you read it to me. And then we start the story of Buttercup and Wesley. Is she a self-made woman? Is this, she has her own farm? Is that the deal? She lives on a farm. You don't she see lives her on a parents, farm. but right. she, she surely comes from so a that's pretty. That's pretty rad. That's pretty, well, I mean, they don't make mention. I think that's pretty feminista. <laughs> She's got her own farm and she got her own farm boy. And I will say, I think farm boy is hot. Later, Wells, what, later Wesley is not. <laughs> farm boy was smoking. But later Wesley, I don't know. If, at first I find that whole, the whole Pirate Roberts costume that's very goofy, but it's that mustache. It looks like a craft, like a, like a pipe cleaner that like Whatever. rolled under the desk. It's so oh, bad. It. It's really nasty, oh. but no farm boy, Wesley, he had it going on. And yeah. so they have this like smoldering bizarre love affair that centers around as you, wish. as you wish. Oh, and so, um, so when, so at this point they fall in love very quickly. And this is the point where Fred Savage breaks and he's like, is this a kissing book? Right. And I like went back and I thought about that line. It's like, it's not just a kissing book. Like this whole story is a kiss. Like there isn't a moment of this film where I don't feel like I'm falling in love with oh, the story, Sasha. with the character, with the oh, idea, Sasha. with the feeling of it. Like you're so sweet, Sasha. I'm so I sentimental. I know. Oh. You are so sweet and sentimental. I know. Um, the actors, are, again, are so good. Robin Wright is gorgeous and young. Oh, God. And this was before she did anything else. The, in fact, it says introducing Robin Wright. She was in like a television show before this, but this was basically her, her big break. And what's his name? Carrie Ellis? Carrie Ellis, yeah. I always say his last name wrong. I read that they cast him because... Um, he had that arrow fling quality and absolutely mm -hmm. that that's oh, what it is. He's got that, that tiny ponytail quality. though. I wish I just snapped that right off the back of oh, his head. That little ponytail all part of the story, Sasha, you know, I know he did some more stuff, but I don't think I can't think of any movie that he did that. I don't care about any other movie. Yeah. One, honestly. Yeah. That's undeserving because like, he's like, so yeah. pitch perfect. He was in the crush in 93. Liar, liar in 97, Twister in 96, but like, who gives a fuck? I only want to see him as a medieval dude. Oh, wait, he was in Glory in 89. What am I talking about? Ah. He was in a bunch of shit, but like, he's but I only, shit. oh, wait, Hot Shots. He was in Hot Shots in 91. Yeah, he was, he's, okay, he's wait. been very successful. Bram Stoker's so. Dracula, you know, he has, but I will only ever see him in my mind as Wesley. As Wesley. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I don't think that's Preferably a bad thing. Preferably farm boy. That's, yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I would blush to meet him now just because he's Wesley, you know? Because mm -hmm. I, I saw a picture of him recently, still handsome, but, you know, salt and pepper and older. I'd still be like, oh, my God, that's Wesley. Um, the next thing that happens is Prince Humperdinck uh, announces Such his marriage. Such a great marriage. name. 
They're all good names. They're all good names. I know. By the way, by the by, I didn't even, I didn't even, oh, I didn't even mention it. The first boy I ever had a crush on when I was in elementary school was named Wesley. Oh, I totally forgot. (laughs) Oh, I I can't say his last name because we, we we can't do those things, but yeah, I, I I did. And, and my first grade crush crushed out on a Wesley. Um, uh, but all the names are good. Buttercup, Humperdinck, um, uh, Fezzik, Vicini, Indigo. It's not Indigo. And I wrote... Inigo. Inigo. <laughs> Great. Atrax. Atar. A- right? <laughs> You're hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Anyway, um, Prince Humperdinck announces his marriage to Princess Buttercup. And I think here is... is um, we'll mention it now. One of the re- again, one of the reasons this movie is super timeless is that like the sets are made to have a certain amount of artifice to them. Like it looks right. like a um, a really expensive a story production. Yes. Yeah, like they basically are made out of like cardboard cutouts, and they're not even mm-hmm. hiding that fact. And and the mm-hmm. costumes are so costumey. Um, so even that, I know yeah. you're gonna you're gonna call out some later, but they're supposed to be costumey. Like they're pushing again. Like the hyperbole of this is that it, it's never not a story. You know, it's never not a fantasy, and it's always kind of keeping that there. And I think that's again one of the reasons it's timeless because no matter who you you know what age you look at, it's always going to be like a fake you know, um, a, a turret that they're, that they're, he's making his anoints, anointsment on. I'm, I'm from, <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. All right. It's been a long day. <laughs> so, but, so while we're talking about costumes, so he announces that she's going to be his new um, commoner princess bride. And then we find out that she's like, she's doing this thing. Cause he has the right to say, that he's going to marry yes. her, but she's not down at all. She's yes. really still pining for Wesley these five years. And she's going to go out riding because that's the only thing that makes her feel best. Dressed up in a killer outfit, this red gown with these green red. leather gloves and red leather boots. boots. I mean, the, the red on red, the monochromatic which reminds me of this Donna Summer video where she does this whole monochromatic thing. And like, it just makes me want to go get some red shoes and a red dress and just like, do that. Do you recall do that thing? The red dress so fucking in high school gorgeous. That I had the red dress yes. in high school that I had that everyone yes. wore. Do you remember this? Yeah. The magical red dress the that fit dress. everybody and made everyone look good. Now for anybody who doesn't understand this, I am maybe five feet tall. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe five feet tall. I'm, I'm, pushing five feet tall. And um, uh, for some reason, when I was in high school, I had a red dress and Sasha, who is, how tall are you, girl? Five, nine. Five, nine. She put it on and she looked fly. We had another friend named Alex. She put it on and it looked fly. Anybody who About wore the dress four. looked fly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It, it just, it turned Somehow out. Somehow like, it would hit you in all the right places, no matter how tall you were or how different your body type were, was like to the other. It was very strange. And I bought very that, strange thing. I, I didn't even buy that at like Contempo Casuals, which was the place that we bought dresses back then. It's crazy. I bought it at like, you know, like one of those Mexican um, shops that has like rainbow or 
I know. Yeah, I don't. You mean like like the Echo like like the Echo Park like, store? Yeah, the yeah. one on Sunset. Exactly. Why can't I think about what it's called right now? Because it's Echo like Park one of my Fashion. favorite stores forever. Echo Park Echo Fashions. Fashions. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, Echo you could Park get Fashions. like you could just walk in there and find like a super awesome cheap outfit that would look really good for a date or a party, and it would magically last for years. It was like yeah. a five dollar, ten dollar dress that would last you like fifteen years somehow. That's super what that weird. dress was. That's what that dress was. Yeah. It was the most incredible thing. But yeah, girl, her red on red on red. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. So, so good. good. That look is so, so, so fly. And then she goes on her ride. Um, and that is where we meet just some poor lost circus performers <laughs> by the name of Vincini Fezic and Ego and Ego. Why have I just got your indigo You've got my problem? Like I can't say it. Yeah. <laughs> so we so we meet um, Wallace Shawn and Mandy Patinkin making a pair of pants sing songs and Andre the Giant. Good <laughs> to you. Oh, Mandy Patinkin in them pants. Inigo Montoya. Oh my God, girl! I gotta take off my glasses and. Oh my, my God. <laughs> I mean, he looks like Rick James between that weird mullet hairdo and those pants. He looks like. Star- Storybook Rick James. Oh, girl. Oh, girl. But he, those pants are painted on. Him and Wesley, when we finally get to Wesley again in his in his pirate, in his Dread Pirate Roberts outfit, his little tights is tight AF as well. In my nerd research, we find out later when we get to, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, they, they have a sword fight. Okay, I'm going to blow it. They have a sword <laughs> fight. You should know this. You should have watched the film already like 17 it. times to know yeah. this. I'm not going to feel bad for spoiling fact, it for you. If you did not so, watch it, stop the podcast. Yet, go stop. Watch the movie. Go do that thing. Yeah. Come and get on board. Okay. So um, when they have, they had that fight, there are no stunt doubles. Carrie Ellis and Mandy Patinkin spent four months learning 17th century sword fighting technique, both right and left-handed, so that they could do that whole fight sequence themselves, save the the very hilarious footloose flip um, off the bar. (laughs) But they did that whole thing themselves, which is why they are making those pants you need changed my life. They changed my life as a nine-year-old girl. I'm telling you, I was like, (laughs) what? This film just started. Yes. So, um, Vincini... I wish I was a six fingered man. I wish he was looking for me like that. Them pants. Oh my God. Damn. Shit. <laughs> the has hired um, Inigo and Fezzik to assist him in kidnapping the princess to start a war that looks like the Gildarians have come for them. Um, what's the name of their little town again? What Lauren. are they called? Florence. Florin, that's right, in Florence. So they steal the princess, and yeah, and so when when Vicini um, announces that that's the plan, that they're going to kill the princess, Andre, the sweet giant Fezzik, is like, I don't feel right about killing an innocent girl. (laughs) I love him so much, you know, and he's like, did I just hear you say think? And, and, you know, then we see that that Inigo Inigo is good, because he's like, I agree with Fezzik, you know, and and then that's when somehow this tiny little Vicini, just by yelling manages to intimidate like the best swordsman in the world and a man who's nearly eight feet tall. He just screams them into submission. Andre the Giant's face like goes down in sadness. And then they, you know, Nigo kind of comes up to him in a very sweet way. And they start this like rhyming game. Mm-hmm. And it's just so sweet. Did you watch it with subtitles? Yes. Okay. So the first, the first word that they rhyme is Vincini. He really makes a lot of fuss. Yeah. 
And then the next line, I'm pretty sure ends in the word a lot, but Andre the Giant's French accent is so strong that somehow it rhymes with fuss. Is that it? Because oh, you watch it with subtitles. I thought maybe you would like, oh, you would I know because remember. it goes from fuss to a lot. And then he, you know, he shouldn't do, want to do her harm. He's really running short on charm. I and the last one. Yeah. And then, the, yeah. The, the, and then the that's when Vincini's is. like, no more rhyming. I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? Funniest shit in the world. Laughed for hours. I don't know why Best. it's funny, but it is funny. Just so wholesome. It's, it's like a dad it's joke. It's so wholesome. It's a dad joke. That's what it is. It's like a three-minute dad joke. <laughs> We're just going to rhyme and be really obnoxiously stupid and annoying oh, with it, but, but wholesome so sweet. at the same I, time. I think that's the thing. Yeah. But, but what yeah. you see is the chemistry between these two guys that they're they're not bad guys. It's, it, it's the moment yeah. where, you, you know, it's the save the cat moment. It's like, these guys aren't bad. They're, they're you know. Vecini's a dick. They're Vecini's all right. A dick. These guys are all right. Now it comes to the scary part. And it comes to the scary part. And they're, so they're sailing at night and um, they're being followed by a, a, a ship um, in the darkness. And Inconceivable. First, the first inconceivable happens here. Um, inconceivable! <laughs> Buttercup jumps ship, finds herself in eel-infested waters. Are these, so these are the shrieking eels. Yeah, these are the shrieking eels that will like feast on human flesh, and they get louder just before they're about to feast on human flesh. Eels won't fuck you up in general, though, right? This is just storybook shrieking eels. Like, well, eels are like I know there's electric eels, right? But like, are eels really like a dangerous thing? I don't know, girl. But can I tell you? Are these another reason why I want to stay away from water? Like, no, 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 eels. Like, I have no idea. I, I don't know the answer to your question, but just like to water change, snakes. Yeah. change the subject immediately. Is yeah, that, like it's a big thing in the UK to eat eels, or it was. What? There's old shops that are like, you know, pies, eels. It's like it's like a thing that they eat here. Oh or, Lord of mercy! But you know, like the British and the you know the British are not known for the food. They never have been. And you know, <laughs> I've, I've got family that's British, and you're over there now. So like, I can talk this shit. Sometimes when I hear about the things that like get eaten or get made, or I see pictures oh, from, oh. I'm just like, y'all know the war is over. You don't need to eat eels. There's spam. You can dispense with that shit. Don't I don't. It. I don't know what it is, but I've seen it written down or like on jellied eels. Stop it! I know. Not, I know this is disgusting. Is, the war is. is over. <laughs> you don't need to eat jellied eels. Stop it. <laughs> so no, it's eel, okay, guys. The eel is coming at Buttercup with its teeth showing, <laughs> shrieking. Um, at which point, Grandpa puts a pin in it, makes sure that Fred Savage knows that she doesn't get eaten by the eels. Andre the Giant just takes his big paw and, and um, hits the eel in the head, picks, picks um, Buttercup up, and then they are off to the Cliffs of Insanity. Yes. <laughs> there is that moment where they're like, they're about to go come upon the Cliffs of Insanity and they realize that the the trip the ship is still trailing them yes and vicini this is a line that for some reason has always been so hilarious to me when he's like move the thing 
move the other thing move the thing like for some reason every time i howl i think it's hilarious the funny thing about vicini is he thinks he's the smartest man in the world he proves time and time again that he is not very intelligent he's just Um, an absolute ding dong when the man in black comes up and is following them up the cliffs of insanity, he says inconceivable, at which point Inigo says to him, I do not think that word means what you think it means. What you think it means. Yeah, one of the best lines of that movie. You keep using this word. I don't think that means I don't what you think, think it means. means. <laughs> I, don't I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, it's, look, it's, we just want to say it five different times because it's that good. Well, it's it's, that good. It's, oh, it's, and then there's that terrible moment better. where he fucking talks shit to Fezzik on the way up the mountain. Um, and he's like, you were supposed to be this Colossus. You were supposed to be this 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 wonder. I'm just going to have to find myself a new giant. And then Fezzik is like, oh, don't say that, Vecini, please. <laughs> it just breaks my heart. So uh, mean. Because Andre the Giant, doesn't he? He just has this um, quality where, you know, he's big and he's burly, but he just seems like a sweetheart. While we're on it, this part was actually written for Andre the Giant. So uh-huh. long story short, you know, because again, our podcast is not about trivia and production notes. This movie was in, in development hell for like 12 years. And uh-huh. um, Andre the Giant was who they really wanted to play it because he was the inspiration for the character. Um, Andre the Giant wasn't available. So other actors... Um, came in and and Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously was one of the, you know, top choices for it. Can you imagine? So glad, Um, so glad it didn't go that way. We, we, it was in development hell so long that um, I think Terminator came out. So then his schedule got way too busy and he wasn't going to do a bit part, you know, not a bit part, but um, a small part in this film after he would, you know, had done Terminator. So he didn't do it. But I told you, like Liam Neeson was one of the people that was possibly called in because he's a tall motherfucker. He's something like mm-hmm. six feet tall. And like the director was just That's like, not that tall. He, he's taller than six feet tall. He's tall. I mean, I know it's really tall to you. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> mean. You're, you're the CD, Sasha. So mean. Anyway. What's awesome is that it was actually written for him and then he actually played it. I mean, which is just, it, it, again, the people who are in this movie were born to play the parts in this movie. Yeah, this perfect, magical, beautiful. Speaking movie. of which, okay, so now, so now, okay, so Vicini, the 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 man in black is trailing them up the rope. Inconceivable. So Vicini is like, I'm gonna cut. We're gonna cut this fucking rope. Man in black doesn't fall. He's he's clinging to the side of the mountain. Inconceivable. All right, me and the giant and the chick, we're we're gonna split. You're gonna stay. Make with the sword. Deal with this fool. And then come along. And he's like, I'm going to do him left-handed. He's like, bitch, we're in a rush. He's like, yeah, but, you know, I got to feel good about my work. He's like, fine. So so he, you know, so he hangs out and he then, like, is watching him trying to climb up. And I love the whole part, the banter between the two of them where he's like, I don't suppose you could, you know, um, get a little, come a little faster. He's like, well, you know, I don't suppose you could throw me a rope, bitch. Like, that would make things happen. So he throws him the rope. They come up and they have this lovely exchange for a few moments while he allows um, the man in black to you know, dump the rocks out of his boots and collect himself. And this is where we find out 
that Inigo Montoya is in search of a six-fingered man who slaughtered his father some 20 years ago and that his whole life is centered around revenge and that he just works for Vecini to pay the bills so that he can live his life in pursuit of tracking down this man who um, is responsible for the commission of this amazing sword that he has on his hips as a penniless, you know, um, vagabond sellsword. Um, and that this, this sword, in fact, is the whole reason why his father was killed. And so Inigo Montoya is my favorite character in the whole thing because he's so passionate and so committed to avenging his father's death. And what I just found out in my nerd research about The Princess Bride is why. And it changed his whole performance for me a hundred times over, knowing that Mandy Patinkin lost his father at the age of 23 to cancer. So as a young man, he watched his father die and his father wasn't even that old. His father was only 53. And he was so depressed and fucked up about it that he approached this role as though the six-fingered man was cancer itself. So he really was reliving his whole experience of, of anger and un, 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 unfettered rage, unmitigated rage that he had towards the fucked up thing that is fucking cancer, this boogeyman, this fucking demon that exists out in the world and takes out the people that we love and you can't stab it. You can't come for it because it's always going to be out there lurking just out of reach. And so he's so committed to it. He's such a committed method actor that in fact, when it comes to, and I'm fuck again, I'm fucking spoiling it. Cause if you haven't seen it, I don't give a shit. Stop the podcast. Go watch it. <laughs> when it comes to the point where he does finally get to confront the six fingered man, he is so deep in his method acting, he is so deep in confronting the cancer that he that killed his father. Do you know he actually stabbed Christopher Guest, who plays the Count? What? He actually fucking stabbed Weird. him in the thigh. And Christopher Guest, when they filmed that, he tossed out a ton of the choreography because he was legit afraid for his life. That's how deep Mandy Patinkin went into this role, that he was legit afraid that Mandy Patinkin might fucking kill him. I did know So that, that whole scene where he keeps coming for him and going like, hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. And it just ramps and it ramps and it ramps. Imagine being in a room with someone who actually was that committed to the role and being Christopher Guest with that because it hits you. When you watch that scene, it fucking hits you oh, yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh shit, he is yeah. not fucking around. But we'll come back and we'll talk about how intense that scene is that, later. That scene's Any- really good. Ooh. So we find this out. We find this out about Inigo Montoya that that is his raison d'etre. And Wesley, or the man in black, is extremely moved by this because of course- the man in black has his own secret reason for living and reason for clinging to the side of a mountain and risking life and limb for something that he feels so passionate about. And then they engage in this beautiful, as we said, no stunt double fight. It's probably one of the greatest sword fighting scenes in any movie anywhere. It's my favorite. I can't think of anything that's better than this sword fighting scene right because it's just it's just beautiful like they complement each other it's all about sportsmanship it's all about respect the sword fighting's excellent and their legs and them pants <laughs> and and for sasha the legs in those pants you're so some legs bad. though you're so bad you know they're, they're just they're just marveling at one another's artistry with the sword then of course they they have the ahas the double aha moments where it's like 
Inigo says, I'm not left-handed. I'm not left-handed. At which point, homeboy Wesley says, I'm not left-handed either. And then it ends in the most gentlemanly fashion ever. I would sooner destroy a stained glass window such as an artist than such as an artist such as yourself. Yeah, that's it. Um, But I can't have you following me, so he knocks him out over the top of his head. It's written and performed to perfection. I think that's the only way to explain it. Moving on, because there's not much more to say except that it's perfect. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the next scene is kind of perfect as well. After he gets an ego, he has to face Fezzik. Fezzik. Sweet so, Fezzik. Sweet Fezzik, right? So what's his name? Vicini is like, damn, you know, he, he bested homeboy. Fezzik. Inconceivable. You need, you need to, inconceivable is what he says. Oh, I can't even <laughs> believe that I, I tried to paraphrase it with damn. <laughs> what a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruining this podcast, everyone. I'm ruining oh it. Oh my god! Anyways, Fezzik does not want to just throw a rock and and kill him in one fell swoop because he too feels like it's unsportsmanlike. They have a conversation and agree that they are going to fight hand to hand combat like God intended them to kill each other in the first place. Civilized, like civilized, like people. civilized yeah. people. <laughs> there is that really creepy kind of line that feels like what did you guys know why are you wearing a mask oh they're just terribly comfortable i think everyone will be wearing them in the future Ooh, i know yeah i didn't i, I was like eh, eh, made a eh. lot, of, lot of recent memes yeah right yeah i've seen that around like way too often. i haven't seen that around but I as have. soon as he said it i was like ah now, it, it's like a big thing right now. They knew it This is, is not an Illuminati plot. They did not, they were not sending out Easter eggs about coronavirus and yeah. the Princess Bride. Everybody no, put the tinfoil back in the drawer. <laughs> it was just a little weird when they said it. Okay. It is. Just it, it, it is just a very, it. yeah. it's very odd, but <laughs> put the tinfoil yeah. back. <laughs> put the tinfoil back in the drawer, back away from the drawer. So they have a, um, they have a brilliant yeah. little fight. And then at the end is the, the second best line. Um, uh, rest well and dream of large women so inconceivable he, he bests the giants and then comes down to it's just you and me <laughs> and some iocane powder right so iocane powder one of the deadliest substances known to man it's odorless tasteless and dissolves completely in liquid um which, no, I need to which say the man Sasha in black none of what? this written down in front of her it's just from our heads <laughs> like that's the thing it's just instant recall of exactly what the script is just like that Uh, it's brilliant so battle of wits begins wetsley takes out his iocane powder odorless tasteless and dissolves completely in liquid and puts it in the goblets the 99 cent goblets as you pointed out that look like they came from the halloween section from the 99 cent store yes these chunky ass weird goblets yeah um so he takes the goblets and he puts the iocane powder, he poisons the wine, but we don't know which wine and brings it back. And then we of course have this amazing exchange, the battle of wits with Vicini. This just like, again, proves himself to be a complete idiot. Only, only a great fool would put the, would put the poison in the goblet in front of himself. So clearly I cannot choose the wine that is front of, in front of you, but you knowing that I am not a great fool, having counted on it, wouldn't have put the wine in the goblet in front of me. So clearly I cannot choose the wine in front of me. I, I mean, it just goes and on and, and on. It is so, he does it so brilliantly. Never, never challenges a Sicilian when death is on the line because why? 
The man in black has spent the last few years, we find out, building a tolerance to iotene powder, and he has actually poisoned both glasses and in the middle of his hysterical laughter of a scene, yet his brilliance keels over dead, and it's one of the best moments in the film. Except, <laughs> except that, that he dies. Like, we no longer have Wallace Shawn in the film. I thought about this because, That's like, true. you know, this is, That's he's true. one of the only characters who dies and he dies so early on that we don't get him for the rest of the movie, which is kind of a shame yeah. because he's a brilliant character, but we don't need him to be the villain anymore because we've gonna, we're going to, we're soon going to get right. Villains, we have to shift right? villains. We yeah. We got to shift villains. villains. Yeah. So, so yeah. farewell. You were brilliant. Vizzini. Goodbye. Um, Goodbye. Dear Vizzini. The Vizzini is gone. Meanwhile, Humperdinck has been tracking them. And um, again, there's where my favorite line, he says, there was a mighty duel. And he does a little spin with his little <laughs> skirts. He was at the, the sword fight and then the giant fight. And then, you know, the Iocane powder, like he's, he's been following them throughout with his second in command. Is Count Rogan? How am I? When? It, how do I say his name? Because you don't hear is it, his was name. It, is it Rugen? I think it's Rugen. Count Rugen. That's how they say course, it. Yeah. I know him by the other name, but we're not going to call him that yet. Right. Just in case somebody hasn't fucking seen this film. Oh, fuck Again, them. They should have seen it already. They should have already paused and gone and watched it. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> not spoiling. I don't feel bad. The Man in Black is pushing and pulling Buttercup up hills, up mountains. And then we realize that he is actually the dread pirate Roberts. Buttercup is really angry at him. He's like, you can die a thousand deaths. Because you killed my love. I remember the first time seeing it being like, rip off your mask. Why are you fucking with her? Like, it took me a really long time to understand that he was hurt. But now let's think about this. Wesley, man in black, dread pirate Roberts. She done thought you were dead for five years. Okay, how, like, I know true love is supposed to stand the test of time, but, like, she did think you were dead. So, that you know, she, you know. It's a fantasy film. So, you know, his ex Which is exactly why when he, yeah, when he raises his hand to her, I'm not, like, super bent and pissed off about it. It's not exactly. a moment for me to feel like, oh, you've crossed these major lines. Like, of course, no, we don't want to hit women. But one, he's playing the Dread Pirate Roberts. Okay. Two... He's Wesley and he's hurt and, you know, he didn't do it. He didn't and, actually and, do and it. He doesn't actually do it. He, you know? he, he threatens yeah. to do it. But we talked about this. We do want to look back at these films with with the frame of, of, you know, whether or not they're sensitive to race or whether or not they're super sexist or, you know. Yeah. Or, did they warp us? Did, did they warp did, us did or feed us? us? I don't think that. In this moment of no. Wesley's, I was like, it's okay for a man to hit a woman. I don't think I Absolutely that not. message yeah. at all. Absolutely um, not. Even as a kid, you kind of realize that that's Wesley, right? So you're not like in this moment where you're like, oh, who is this man in black? Is he the drug pirate Roberts, right? So you kind of get that he's upset. And he's upset because if you had faith, girl, because we're in fairy tale world, of course I was coming back. We have true love. And that doesn't happen every day. Yeah. I just hate that little fucking ponytail. It's like the dumbest little ponytail I've ever seen. It's like five hairs. Like five it's hairs. Not, it's, like, it's, it's like a curly, yeah. it's like a curly hoop. <laughs> of five hairs. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So they're having a fight. He reveals that he's the drug pirate Roberts to talk about it. He gets mad at her. She gets mad at him. 
And then her ass pushes him down the hill. Right. At which point yeah. he says, as you wish. As you wish. And then, and so then she tosses herself down the hill. And, it's and really I really want us to comedy. make one day a compilation of terrible stunt double scenes. <laughs> I, I just want a compilation of terrible stunt double scenes. I always thought it was really funny because like she rolls down after him and it's both both of them are like, oh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, like yeah, the physical comedy of it is really Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny. It's funny. You're but hilarious. at some point she's got like a long ass beard. Yeah. <laughs> Even if Wesley was super mad at her before, even if he was hurt by her before, when she rolls down the hill and he sees her, he immediately goes to her and asks if she's To see that she's okay. You know what I mean? Like, like all of it's done. Yeah. And now it's just, are you okay? And he's, are you hurt? And then she, then it gets really, really, what's the word? Soapy? Soppy? Soppy, right? Yeah. Is that the word? Sappy, sappy, oh sappy, goodness. soppy, soapy. I'll take it's all of them. Sappy, it's fine. Soppy and soapy. Because he says, "Are you hurt?" And she's like, "You're alive. I could fly." Or something like that. Skip the kissing part, Grandpa. Okay. So, so then they realize the hum- Humperdinck is still trailing them. They got to get away. So they go to the fire swamp, and she's like, "This is fucked. We can't go in the fire swamp. It's all kinds of dangerous." He's like, "That's you're just saying that because no one's ever survived." And then they get in there, and you can tell that they were at any point in a relationship because he goes, "Oh, it doesn't look so bad." And she throws him this look of death, like, "Please, please don't start your shit talking. Like <laughs> that. Please don't, don't start your shit, please." You know what I mean? Like so clearly, they were in love enough to have had a few moments together where she has a look that she gives him when it's like rain in your shit rain in oh your God. shit right now and she gives it to him hard right there and it's hilarious my favorite um, line and then this is, is though, yeah the, when he he sees um they're right about to go into the fire swamp and he sees humperdinck and he says aha your big oh, fiance your big fiance's too late calls him a pig every time he calls him a pig, pig it's fiance. hilarious not a pig fi- yeah just a pig a pig fiance Your pig, pig fiance, fiance. <laughs> so he he throws shade at humperdinck throughout this whole thing and it's all really really good oh yeah it is like drag queen level executed shade it's like, beautiful it's beautiful yeah yeah. Okay, so they're they're in the fire swamp. They're gonna hit the the, t- the three terrors: the flame spurt, the lightning sand, and the rous's. Now tell me, Sasha, what your ish is with the buttercup here? Okay, Go so on. my ish, my ish is like okay. So first of all, so her dress catches fire, and he puts it out right, and then they quickly discover how to like avoid the little flame patches right on. Okay, he just keeps that. picking her up in this heavy ass dress. And moving her out of the way. Like he is really doing doing the job, right? Now they're trying to get through this place. And and then he's like, she's like, oh, but what about the ROUSs? Which he's already seen. And he's trying to like spare her from the fact that he's already seen. The ROUSs, by the way, I remembered them much bigger and much nastier. And I think we've got worse in Echo Park possums. But so for real, I've seen some shit up in those hills so um so then of course and as soon as he's like oh we don't have to worry about the auto us's one of them like, jumps out and like lands on him and just starts like gnarling the fuck out of him and she just goes like limp she does she just stands there looking at it like and joe jonas's interpretation of this in in the kibi uh, you know um home movie version she's just like oh shit 
like like seriously bitch do something and she just seriously like stares while this fucking rat thing this ruse r-o-u-s mauls her man and then it comes for her and that's when she kind of starts nudging it not even hitting it nudging it with a stick and then he's got to take over and light the bitch on fire and stab it and she like kind of at some point gets in there but she's just useless okay get on the team bitch okay here's my breakdown for you all of us think that when we get in trouble we're gonna somehow become these like ninja masters who is are gonna be able to pick up big bricks and like like hit people and all that stuff because the adrenaline's gonna get us and all that but a lot of us most of us are just gonna go into shock like and you know i have been held up before and you think that you're gonna be able to be super whatever but you're stunned you're stunned in the moment so i don't find it too crazy that she just stands there what is she gonna do if the love of my life suddenly appeared in front of me who i thought was dead for five years and then he was gonna get murked by a fucking rabid dirty possum i would be fucking that thing up i wouldn't be like oh and this is how it ends okay you know what sasha when i see a spider that's slightly large i freeze and if it kills peter then <laughs> that's gonna <laughs> i don't know i don't know what to do i wouldn't know what to do yeah. well remind me to never travel through a fire swamp with you <laughs> okay so, so they so they get past the, they they kill it he kills the thing. They get they get out of there. Oh no! And then they fucking fall in the goddamn quicksand, right? They, Is that before or after? It's before, but Is it okay? So they before before the fucking okay. So I'll give her that. She might have been a little traumatized still for having sunken through the earth, yeah, and I, had to be pulled out. But again, he's just doing all the heavy lifting. She just really well, needs to yeah. like. I I don't know. Maybe I'm a here. trick, dude. Maybe I'm a supergirl because I'm like, yeah, you do it. I'm wearing, <laughs> I'm wearing heels. She's not though; they're flats. You Those know what I'm saying? I'm I saying know. is that still. Yeah, I mean, I gets it. I I gets it, and I right. gets you. I gets it, and I gets you. All right. Well, we'll leave, think, we'll let it go with that. We'll let it go right. with that. Yeah. It's okay. All right. Um, All right. So they get out of the fire swamp, and, and then Humperdinck is there to catch. Boom. Surrender. You want you want to surrender to me? I accept. Shade. <laughs> Love it. Shade, shade. He is not happy about her pig fiance. But of course, Buttercup, not wanting to lose Wesley again, asks for his release if she will go with Humperdinck. Um, so she goes off with Humperdinck. And this is where we really first meet the Six Finger Man, who is played by Christopher Guest. Wesley clocks his hand. And smiles. He's like, what is this? He's like, you've got six fingers on your on your right hand. Um, I know someone who's looking for you. And for some reason, Count Rugen, the six fingered man. I don't know if this is some deep inner child shit. Like he was upset about being made fun of for having six fingers as a kid. But he like immediately is like, you dick. And like, just like clocks Wesley and knocks him out for noticing. Count Rugen has that kind of what's the Nazi scientist? What was his name? Mangala? Yeah, yeah. So Dr. Yeah. Mengele. Yeah, he's got that yeah. kind of quality, right? Be- because we'll because 
when Wesley wakes up, of course, he is in the pit of despair. The pit of despair, which with is the albino. The albino. For some reason, the way the albino is using that like spongy poultice thing to like dab his shoulder has always given me the weirdest kind of skeeves. I don't know why. There's something about the oh, maybe oh. it's the foley of it. The like oh, oh. sound of it just really. Ugh. It's clearly dirty. It's clearly like a dirty. Oh yeah, it's filthy as well. Big. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're completely dermophobic. So that's yeah, true. That makes that's sense. The, you're to right. Me. There's no yep. reason that shouldn't skeeve me out. Yeah, that's and then he hacks in his face. You are in the pit of despair. <laughs> Don't even try to get out, mate. The the play on the trope of you know the albino underground in this pit of despair would have a voice yeah. like this, and actually it's just a frog in his throat. It's like that's that's the beauty of this movie right there. It's like that's the that's the twist yeah. that it does yeah. again and again at you. And the pit of despair, of course, is Count Rogan's torture chamber. So the next part is really interesting. The king dies. Yeah. Buttercup and, and Humper didn't get married. Fred Savage gets super pissed off. He's like, you've read it wrong. You're ruining the story. He can't marry Humperdinck. It's just not fair. And Peter Falk says, life isn't fair. Who said life was fair? And it's like all of a sudden in this movie, it gets really deep. This might be a story, story, but it's still a story about life. Sometimes the bad side wins. Sometimes this is. Life is not fair. And Fred Savage is really upset about the injustice of it. And then we get one of the best, again, one of the best moments of this film. I, we, we need to just stop saying that, shouldn't we? Yeah. Um, Prince, uh, Queen Buttercup walks out and an old hag starts yelling at her. Boo! <laughs> Boo! Bow down to her! The queen of slime! <laughs> the queen of filth! The queen of putrescence! Boo! Boo! She had true love! She had true love and she gave it away. Boo! Boo! Rubbish. Filth. Slime. Oh, God. I love that part. But what she spews out of her mouth is just so hardcore. And she's like spitting mad. She's just so going for it. There's no hold back. Like, fucking shit. It's so fun. It's so good. So at this point, yeah. Buttercup wrenches herself from the nightmare, runs to Humperdinck. She's like, so here's the deal. I don't love you. I love Wesley. I'm never going to love you. I'm only ever going to love Wesley. And if, if, did she, does she flat out be like, and if you make me marry you, I'm going to fucking kill myself. And yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, I mean, I could never cause you harm. I wouldn't want that. So I'll tell you what, I will send my four fastest ships to go and track him down. And if they don't make it here by our wedding day, you know, Give, give, give a brother a chance because maybe it won't be so bad with me, right? And she's like, okay, deal. Obviously, he's not going to send his four fastest ships because he's already had Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. <laughs> Whose name is Take Tyrone. him, Tyrone, which we find out because Humperdinck calls him Tyrone in their walk where Tyrone invites Prince Humperdinck to come down to the the pit of despair and check out, you know, check out his work. And, and Humperdinck's, you know, I, w- you know, I love to watch you work, Tyrone. And this is where I'm like, oh, they fucking for real. Because there is some vibe. <laughs> the affection between the two of them is deeper than just admiration between two sick fucks. No, like there's like, there's some, they are fucking they are doing the thing absolutely some those those six fingers those six fingers have a purpose 
<laughs> so Tyrone heads down to the pit of despair <laughs> where he does his first session on Wesley with the machine, which we discover is some kind of life sucking machine that can steal as little as six months of a man's life and up to 50 years. But since, you know, this is their first session together, he's just going to steal one simple year from Wesley and he would like to know, you know, for posterity's sake, because this is for his research, how well, it makes him that feel. Christopher Guest imbues this part with just this cold, calculated oiliness. And I love yeah. him in it. So There's he steals something. this year, it fucks him up. He's he's like whimpering, fucked up, and Christopher Guest is loving it. And so is the albino and it's very creepy. Um and uh you're 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 sad. You're sad for Wesley at this point because you're like, this is fucked up. Like, that's like, like, it's not a cool thing. We left out the fact that, that, that truly what's going on is that Humperdinck is yes. this twist-o-fuck just like Count Rugen, Tyrone, the six-fingered man, that is trying to stage a war with the Gildarians. And the way that he's going to enact this is by killing Princess Buttercup and making it look like they actually committed the crime. And he was the one who actually hired... Vicini in the first Vicini, place. right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So he sends his chief enforcer off to um, empty the thieves' forest, which um, is the way we get reintroduced to um, Enigo. And, and Fezzik. And Fezzik. Yes. Enigo is exactly where Vicini left him. He says, I go back to the beginning. <laughs> I go back to the beginning. And there he is, splayed out, shit hammered on the floor, drunk as fuck, waiting for Vicini. I am waiting for Bessini. Say, come back to the beginning, and I am back at the beginning. <laughs> and the guard comes and tries to get him, and he's like, no, I'm drunk, but I can still swing this fucking sword at you, motherfucker. And then Fezzik shows up and is like, fool, you are drunk, and let me just end this, because you're about to get yourself murked, and, and that's not cool, because you're my friend. So then Fezzik so sweetly nurses him back to health and tells him, keep, gets him up to speed, makes him stew. Yeah, the dunks bromance, his head in water. Is real. Yeah, the bromance is brings real. him back around. Even even their first moment is so tender when he's drunk. Yeah, and and he kind of sees his hand and he puts his hand against his hand and he realizes that. Yeah, it's, you know what I mean. I think it's you. Yeah, it's you, my friend. Yeah. So he nurses him back to health, tells him about the six fingered man, and Inigo is like, "Oh, hell's yes, this shit is on." We are going to get this motherfucker. How are we going to do it? Oh, we need the six-fingered man. We No, we don't need the six-fingered man. We, we need the man the in man black. Back. And then it cuts back to Buttercup and Humperdinck. She calls yeah. him out for not sending the ships. And Humperdinck suddenly gets so mad. Because, because she calls him a coward. She, she calls him, him out. She calls him a little bitch. She calls him, she calls him so him. much. Yeah. And the slimiest little coward that could crawl on the earth or something. Yeah. I would, I would not, not say, say such, such things, things if, if I were you. you. And then he manhandles her because she, she's like, you never sent your ships, you lying fuck. And he's like, whatever, you're a silly girl. And she's like, I am a silly girl because I never realized what a fucking little bitch coward you are, bitch coward. And he's like, yeah, you shouldn't say those things. Heads her down the hallway by her arm, throws her in the room. I'm fucking pissed now. Yeah, and he goes down to the pit of despair and he's like, yeah, you guys might have been in love. And that kind of love maybe exists once in a century. And fuck that. Because if I don't get to have anything, no one does, basically. So no one could ever possibly suffer as much as you. And he takes the fucking handle and he pushes the thing on the fucking death machine. 
up to 50. And Count Rubin's like, not to 50? And the albino's like, oh. And then fucking Wesley pops up off the table in this like reverse plank, his whole body domes away from the table. And he just starts screaming. And it's so loud and it's so horrible that they can hear it all through the thieves' force. Buttercup can hear it. Everybody hears this shit. It's all this, this, the scream that's heard around the world. And Inigo's like, oh my God, that Fezzik, that is the sound of pure suffering. His love is set to marry another man tonight. That is the man in black. And they take off to go find him. And they get as far as the grove and screams stop. And they're like, no, 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 no. We have to find, we have to find him. So Inigo pulls out his sword and he's backlit by the sun. He's like, father, I have to find this man because he can help us find the man who killed you. But I cannot do it alone. I need you, father. I need your help. And he starts wandering like it's a, like it's a divining rod with his sword. He's waving it around. And then it goes pink into a tree. And he opens his eyes and he's like, well, fuck, that didn't work. And he leans his head on his hand and then the door opens that leads in this hollow tree that takes the stairway down to the pit of despair. And upon going down there, they discover Wesley is dead. Cut to Fred Savage, who then says, Wesley's dead? Jesus, Grandpa, why the hell did you read this thing to me? And that's when I'm like, and Jesus, Grandpa, why haven't you slapped this child? How did he, how did he just speak to his grandpa that way? I mean, I understand. I understand. He is like, what the fuck? You just killed my hero. But I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones and I would not have sworn at one of my grandparents because they recommended me watch it. <laughs> that shit was rude. Fred Savage is mad because he says to him, who gets Humperdinck? And the, gra- the grandfather says, no one, he lives. And he gets really upset because he's like, wait a second, Wesley mm-hmm. dies, Humperdinck lives, she's going to marry him. What is this bullshit? Like, again, you're taking my fairy tale and you're ruining it. Like, that's not the way a fairy tale, you know, essentially, that's not the way this yeah. is supposed to go. We take it from this horrific realization that yes. Wesley has been killed to the best comedic relief you could possibly ask exactly. for, no pun intended, with the comic relief. Billy Crystal, Carol Kane, Miracle Max, and Valerie. What <laughs> a scene. Now, completely improvised they shot it over three 10 hour days where billy crystal never told the same joke twice rubber runner here he had to um he had to leave the set he had to leave the set he had to go off the set and direct it from a monitor because his laughing kept interrupting the scene and And manzi patinkin bruised a rib yep i'm trying to imagine how hard carrie elwes had to like play dead while Billy Crystal is fucking just riffing deluxe around him for three days straight. Like I can't imagine trying to play dead while one of the most brilliant comedic minds of our century just went on for three days straight. It is funny. And there's lots of parts that I like about it, but it's not so funny that I broke a rib. Mind you, I was, well, you weren't in a room with Billy Crystal for three days. Yeah. 
But like when I watch the scene and they talk about how funny it is and because I've read those things. They need to release those outtakes. They need to release the outtakes. The Max is Miracle Max. He used to work for the king and and he got fired by Prince Humperdinck. So he hates Prince And his confidence has been rocked ever since, which is why he's reluctant to perform a miracle. Why why do I want to do this anyway? Why do I want to do this anyway? What, what, you know, he's just, okay, we're going to find out. We're going to find out what he's got to live for because this guy here, he's only mostly dead. So he takes a bellows and he puts some air into Wesley's chest. And then he says, Hey, hello in there. What do you got to live for? What's so important that you got to live for? And he presses on his chest and Wesley goes, and he goes, Oh, well, that is a noble cause. That is a noble cause. But again, because his confidence is rocked and he's afraid to commit to, to perform a miracle. He says, no, 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 that's not what he says. He clearly said to blave, you guys were playing cards and he bluffed and you lost some money. And that's why you want to bring him back. So you can collect his debts. And that's when Carol Kane comes running out and says, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. Humperdinck, 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 pull it together. And then basically, and he goes like, listen, this guy is the one that Humperdinck's lady friend is really down for. So if you bring him back, she will totally dump Humperdinck and Humperdinck will be really upset. So that's like, you know, that's a win. He's like, oh, I fix him. Humperdinck suffers. Done. Hats on. Let's perform a miracle. So they make a chocolate covered pill that apparently will bring Wesley back around. But they got to wait 15 minutes and then he's not supposed to swim for an hour. I need to stop you for a second. And we need to please do how amazing Carol is. I read something that she had like four lines written on the page. Everyone talks about Billy Crystal and. You know, just Carol Kane, at Carol Kane, you are a diva. Don't let anyone make you feel unappreciated. You just call us and we will tell you how fucking amazing you've always been. Yeah. I mean, they're perfectly perfect. They should should get married. I think in real life. And it's amazing how, like, that, that this book, this book, book within a movie that we're doing, again, just like Never Ending Story, there's this old couple, magical old couple scene. That happens again, which is interesting. Exactly. Interesting. So it is very. So we're gonna, yeah. So moving the story along. Okay, so they have the magic pill. They've got Wesley, who's still mostly dead, and they are approaching the castle so they can try to figure out a plan to crash this wedding, steal Buttercup, rescue Buttercup, and kill the six fingered man. And what's about to happen is just like awesome comedy, physical comedy, genius. As you yes. said, they they stuff the pill down Wesley's throat. And then Carrie Elwes basically within moments is like, I'll beat you at your pot. I'll, I'll kick, I'll, I'll kick your ass. Basically I'll fuck you up. He's up and he's ready, ready to fucking fight. Right. He's just like, it's just his head. It's just his face. Why don't my arms move? And they explain to him that he's been mostly dead all day long. And then they proceed to puppet him around while he figures out a plan. Yeah, we for how we can, bur- we can have Bernie him. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like Wesley. Um, comes up with a great plan. Uh, all they need is a wheelbarrow and a Holocaust coat, which they, you know, magically come up with. The plan is an interesting one. They've propped Fezzik up into the wheelbarrow in the Holocaust cloak. And they pretend that he is the dread pirate Roberts. And so of course, because Fezzik is already nearly eight feet tall. And now he's standing in a wheelbarrow, somehow being wheeled by Inigo on his own because Wesley's still mostly dead. And he's, he's apparently got steel, we, Sasha. we he's got steel. I mean, he's got legs, babe. 
He's got strong, <laughs> strong thighs in them little pants. Ow. So the whole the whole thing about a Holocaust clerk apparently is that it you can light it on fire, at which point they've got Fezzik in the wheelbarrow and he's like, I am the dread pirate robber. <laughs> All of your worst fears are about to come true. I am here for your souls. And then they light the cloak on fire and now he's this flaming giant and all of the guards run away, except for the one who has the key. I have no key. Physic, rip off his arms. Oh, this key. This key. This key. key. You can have that key. This this movie is all little moments. We are not going to skip over one of the best scenes in the movie. We can't skip over Marriage is what brings us together. Brings us together today. today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Peter Cook, I mean, like ridiculously fun. See, this had me in stitches when I was a little girl. Yeah, he's doing this completely deadpan, and it's one of the best cameos in this movie. You know, of the cameos, and I mean, you can't say that actually because. Every cameo in this movie is the best cameo. They get married because they rush through the ceremony. Right. Man and wife. Man and wife. Say man and wife. Skip to the end. And poor Buttercup walks away saying, he didn't come. She's so sad. They've stormed the castle and almost immediately, right? Like Indigo runs in to count Rugen. Yeah, like they're storming yeah. the castle and then like at, at a distance, there's Count Rugen and three guards and he, he makes fast work of the three guards, just kills the shit out of them and then gets to finally say what he's wanted to say his whole life. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And that bitch runs away. This part to me makes me laugh. Every single time, just the way he turns away and scampers like a schoolboy. Scampers just... like a yes. <laughs> scampers exactly is the perfect word it's for it. Like the best. Um, you said it before, and I'm gonna just um, say it again. Your favorite character is Inigo in this movie, and I think you're mm-hmm. not alone. Next to as you wish, this is the yeah. greatest line in this movie, and it's one of the probably greatest lines of any movie ever. And Ego takes after the six-fingered man like a dart, and we just see them run throughout the entire castle, twists and turns, and the six-fingered man is trying to figure out how to get rid of Inigo, and he goes into a room, and he closes the door behind him, and fucking Inigo flips the fuck out and starts throwing himself at the door, and the way he oh. screams yes. for Fezzik, yes. the way he Where screams he for Fezzik to come, please! Please, please, Fezzik, he's getting away. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's the way he screams at that door. I was going to say the exact same thing. So he finally finally turns a corner um, to get the six-finger man. And the six-finger man, like like the, the snake he is, throws a knife, very unsportsmanlike, and gets him in the belly. Ugh, right in the gut. And he falls into the wall and he says, I'm sorry, father. I tried. Oh, you must be that little Spanish brat that I taught that lesson to so many years ago. 
and you've been searching for me this whole time. How terrible and how wonderful, right? And then he um, he tries to pull himself up. He try he pulls the knife out and he tries to pull himself up, and that's when the count is like, "Are you still trying to win?" Yeah. How he's and he just starts kind of like yeah he just he just like how you know how fucked up and and fucking delicious is this that I get to fuck you have such an overdeveloped sense of vengeance that's going to get you in trouble but for now basically this is my plaything and then he sticks an ego in the arm psh, doesn't even phase him he knocks the sword away and then he sticks him on the other side psh, and he knocks the sword away and then that's it and he goes like fuck this shit I've come this close if I'm gonna die. If this fool's going to kill me, I'm going to kill him on my way out. And he pulls himself up that wall and he stumbles. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. And he goes to stick him. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. Hello, my name is Inigo. And he just keeps going and it just keeps building and getting so intense. And you can and you see it. And now that I know that like what was driving Mandy Patinkin as an actor is that he actually thought he was killing cancer itself. It's just in the gut, like the knife that was thrown across the room takes me the fuck out to watch that scene now. Because then when he finally starts to stick him, he sticks him once, I'll stick you how you stuck me. And now I'll stick you again how you stuck me. And then I'm going to fucking slash your face. Offer me this. Offer me that. Offer me everything I want because there's nothing in the world that I fucking want. I don't even want to kill you, motherfucker. I really just want my father back. And it's just, ugh, it's, it's beautiful. beautiful. And it yeah. always gets me. And and it's hard because I love all of the movie, but I'd have to agree with you that he's probably my favorite character. For me, it's if almost what the cast. whole fucking movie is about. For me, I mean, that whole, the scene, that scene is almost what the whole movie is about for me. It's just getting to that point where he gets my... to fucking kill the six-fingered man. Um, oh, and when, and when Christopher Guest, when the six-fingered man was like, stop saying that! Yes. yes. Oh. It's, it, yeah. It's actually not very um, fairy tale. Like, it, it isn't a clever satirical part of the film. It's not the Battle it, of Wits. It's not the Battle of Wits. It's right. not, there's nothing funny about it. Yeah. Um, so then he stumbles off. William Wesley meantime. has managed to find his way into the honeymoon suite where he is waiting for Princess Buttercup. <laughs> or she enters and doesn't realize that he's there. And she's just despondent because she believes that she was wrong. And for whatever reason, he didn't come to save her she didn't doubt but he didn't come to save her and so she opens a box because every wedding suite has a box with a blade in it and she opens the box with the blade and she's about to plunge it into her chest when wesley says there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world it'd be a shame to damage yours oh wesley (laughs) and then she jumps on the bed gently gently because he's still kind of mostly dead this is the one part that I thought was kind of sexy. This is where like, he's hot. Like, this is where he's hot. Oh, this yes, is where yes. Wesley becomes hot. Your tits are great is basically what he's saying, you know? And it's just like... Oh, but he's saying it in such much, oh, so much of a more poetic I know, way. I know. You know what it is? It's that, like, he loves her because she's beautiful. Does it seem like that a little bit? You know, well, I mean, it's that kind of fairy tale love where we don't really know what the yeah. extent of their, you know, deep late night conversations were. We don't know what adventures they've been on. We just know that okay. she really liked to watch him chop wood and he was down to have her. 
tell him to chop wood. So, and they're both very attractive people. So why shouldn't they be attracted to each other? You know, and, and, not um, and this is, but this is just where he gets like, especially hot. Cause he's like, he's basically paralyzed, but still in control, tells her not to damage her perfect tits and then breaks down the fact that she's not married and does so with like all this like smoothness. And then just all of a sudden acknowledges, wouldn't you agree your highness? Because Prince Humperdinck has now entered the room and realizes that Wesley not only has survived the 50 years of his life that he has taken off with the machine, but has actually managed to crash the wedding and has Princess Buttercup in his bed, though, already. Damn. When you put Take it like that, that Prince Sasha, Humperdinck. Put it like that. Now, Prince scene, Humperstank. Um, this is where the shade gets real for Wesley. He's oh. been throwing it all through the movie, and now he gets to throw shade at so Temperding. Much. So much shade. And it's fucking read hilarious. him to filth, as they would say. Yeah, read him to Reads filth. his ass to filth. So so he says, he says, to the death, they're gonna fight. And then Wesley, of course, says, to the pain. I haven't uh, heard of that one. He's like, I'll explain it, and I'll use small and words. I'll... You warthog-faced buffoon. <laughs> you vomitous mass. Yes, he said that's another one. Um, and, of course, to the pain means that he's going to um, uh, uh, basically disfigure him so badly that... Um, uh, that everyone would shriek with terror and horror when they see her. him. Um, and the so only he, thing he'll leave him with her is his ears so he can be can trapped with the sound of the screams. Dear God, what is Dear that Dear God, thing? what is that thing? <laughs> and really, it's like... That this, is what I mean by I, to the pain. So drop your sword. And I he does know. and then picks up his little sleeves and prances over to a chair and waits to be tied up Again. like the little bitch he is wonderful Christopher Sarandon I mean he just owns it he's like throughout this whole film he's been you know evil and then this 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 one moment he dismantles all of it and shows his real colors just by picking up his sleeves like that and prancing over to the chair that's all Christopher Sarandon needed to do there's another important moment here that's about decency and sportsmanship because um, and Eagle comes into the room and he's like, oh, this piece of shit. You want me to dispatch oh, yeah, him for yeah, you? Yeah. And, and Wesley's like, no, no matter what happens to us, I want him to live alone with his cowardice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not yeah, always yeah. about the murder. Justice not is not always, always about murder. Grandfather said earlier, like, Prince Humperdinck doesn't die. You know, Fred Savage was so mad. He's like, what do you mean yeah. he doesn't die? He has to die. Like, yeah. That's not the there worst are worse thing punishments. Like, yeah. Like, rather die than than live knowing that you're yellow bellied warthog sleeve grabbing prancing balloon. little warthog face vomitous mass. Isaac <laughs> shows up with the four beautiful white horses. Buttercup jumps out the window, and this is like a weird shot, isn't it? Because it's like black screen, and like she's floating. Yeah. In the air. Yeah. It's kind of an odd shot. Yeah, it has a little music thing in the back. And then, and then of course, um, before Wesley falls out the window, because he still can't use his body. 
So when he jumps out, he kind of just like turns to the left and tips falls. himself out. Yeah, himself out. hilarious. But, but before he Fucking does hilarious. that, he he talks to Inigo because Inigo doesn't know what to do with the rest of his life. So, yeah. So he's he supposed to do now. Because oh, we didn't cover that whole thing about how the dread cover. Yeah, we Ryan didn't go through what the actual dynasty of dread private Rob, pri- pri- yeah. private Ryan, private <laughs> <laughs> Robert. <laughs> See, it's funny that you call it a, a dynasty, which is exactly what it is. But I always thought of it as like a franchise, like like they're McDonald's. <laughs> like, but you, you're right; it's more of a dynasty. <laughs> Anyway. I like franchise better, though. I anyway. like that because that's, that's the deal. There was a Dread Pirate Roberts like 20 years ago. He made a bunch of money. Was like, I'm really tired, but it, but but again, this franchise this has potential. So I'm gonna pass this on to someone else. They pay me a royalty for the name. <laughs> I live out my days. They do the same thing. It becomes the first pyramid scheme ever to exist. <laughs> Oh, so yes they ride off and then they're in the sunset and they kiss and it's all wonderful and that's where the and story he, ends and he and- lets him kiss red savage says you know thank you grandpa and uh, will you come back and and read it again and the grandpa says as you wish i know it's so sweet now did you it's so miss sweet your grandfather at that moment because i did my grandfather was very yeah. nice he was very you know quiet and strong and and everything and and he didn't die mine was ornery as fuck but he loved the shit out of me and he would have told totally said as you wish if that was in his lexicon of language he totally would have said that that i think your grandfather had a little oh yeah you've met my grandfather your grandfather with his with his shirt open (laughs) (laughs) like a fucking baller he was in shiny suits he was baller he was like he was like why they made vegas you know, and then it's a perfect movie and it just about ends perfectly until oh. the worst title track ever rolls. And I know that you really love it. My really love quick. is like a storybook story. It's real as the feelings I feel. You know what it is? It, it reminds me of when you first learn in elementary school to not define a word with a word. <laughs> My love is like a storybook story, okay. but they don't have the, the, the sources in this story. <laughs> i'm gonna give it all to you i'm gonna give it all to you i i know i get why you don't like it like okay like i told you earlier it is not never ending story and it's not we don't need another hero i'm not gonna put it on that level i'm not even gonna put it on the level (laughs) of like um oh what a feeling you know but what never what's the song from never it is not on the level of oh what a feeling it's better it's than not. it's better than Footloose by Kenny Loggins, though. I'll give you. I'm gonna own that. I am not going to let that slide. This is my opinion, Sasha. In my opinion, yes. And I'm I, by not let it slide means that I'm just going to silently hold it against you and wait <laughs> for one day that I can make fun of you for it. Anyway, wow. So um, yeah, so from I don't know what we're gonna have to say about it because it's only just perfect. To let us just talk about every perfect moment and how much we love it. So Sasha, okay, you're gonna come visit me on a transatlantic flight. Are you I gonna am. watch the Princess Bride, the Princess yes. Diaries, or no, a movie with Liam Neeson? 
No, I will only watch The Princess Bride over and over and over over again. again. I'll watch it four, five times. However many hours that flight is, I will watch The Princess Bride (laughs) over and over and over again. See, I would watch it over and over again because I practically know the whole movie by heart. So I would just be happy to keep making sure that I have the, the lines down, all of them. In fact, if I ever was was taken if i was ever like arrested for a crime and put in solitary confinement that's how i would keep from going insane is i would just reenact the princess bride for myself because i could it's a classic and like i said this is only kind of movies that i want to watch and unfortunately there is only one it is the highlander of beautiful (laughs) movies So thank you all so very much for listening to our latest episode of Eating After Midnight. If you liked what you heard, please pop on over to iTunes or whatever platform you listen to us on and leave us some stars and a review. You'd also make our day if you could follow us on Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast. And if you've got the time, DM us with any comments, questions, complaints, or requests for future reviews. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have fun storming the castle!